the Buckets and Tea MBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Our music is brought to you by Tanika Charles, courtesy of Record Kicks. Her albums, Soul Run and The Gumption, are available now on all streaming platforms. Joining me today is Sports Illustrated Raptors reporter Aaron Rose. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for for being here. This is so great. Uh, We've had quite the interesting week in the NBA. Uh, Let's start off with the Pacers. Nate Bjorkren, uh, it was reported by Woj that he's not likely to be with the Pacers after this season. Uh, Many reports, including an article I read through Bleacher Report, that he had really terrible communication issues with with the team, that he was aggressive at times, that uh, TJ Warren requested a trade because he had a bad experience with him was I mean it was a lengthy list it even included him uh complaining about a, a their airplane needing de-icing I don't know if you saw that as well and that people had to like calm him down to let the plane be de-iced uh really not a good look for him and quite shocking for me as a Raptors fan who we kind of had a real 180 version of him uh how did you feel when this report came out well, I, I think I was surprised as it sounds like you were when that news came out. And, and as you mentioned, Woj had a story, Bleacher Report had a story, The Athletic had a story. So uh, it's it's hard to believe that none of it is true with that many different um, outlets reporting it. At the same time, um, when, we, when, when the news came out that obviously he was leaving at the beginning of the season to take that head coaching job, we asked the Raptors players what they thought of the fit. And, and, and even when the Raptors played Indiana... And basically, to a man, they they all spoke very highly of him. They thought he was a great coach. Um, I think it was Fred Van Vliet who said, "If you don't like Nate Bjorkren, like I don't like you, or there's something wrong with you." Basically, <laughs> so so that sounds like you know as high praise as you could possibly get. Um, they all basically said he was a great coach. And then after that story broke, and I think it was specifically the Bleacher Report article, which which talked about some turmoil dating back to Nate's time with the Raptors. Um, Mm -hmm. apparently he was hard to deal with. Um, he sort of micromanaged the rest of the coaching staff. Uh, This is what the report said. Um, and and Nick nurse was asked about that and basically said, it's, I think he said, it's a bald face lie and 100%, um, not true. And he was very upset about it. Obviously that's a friend of his, um, and, and a former coach on his staff. And it seems like some of the reporting, you know, uh, as a journalist, I'm not I'm not one to question somebody else's sources. You know, I don't think that Bleacher Report made up this story, but maybe they didn't speak to enough people, or or maybe that's not the impression that sort of maybe that, that was one person that felt this way, and not the bigger story. But I think you're right; it's concerning um, that that so many people seem to have a problem with him. If that is indeed the case, and it seems like, as I mentioned, if there's there seems to be a lot of smoke here, which would suggest maybe there's some fire, um, as the <laughs> yeah. saying goes, but. It's weird because dating back to his time with the Raptors, it seemed like he was a great coach and a very successful coach and, and people seemed to like having him around. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really kind of unusual or unique that that Woj would report that 
the Pacers aren't happy with them as opposed to like an actual firing, which feels like, like hard news to me. You know what I mean? Just to, to report that, Oh, there's some dissatisfaction here. I was like, that's kind of an unusual thing to get out. Like normally that feels like that's the kind of thing that stays, you know, sort of within the locker room. And then we find out, you know, after a firing has happened. So I can only imagine what it must be like to keep coaching with all this talk happening, happening around you. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't been on Hayster's um, news conferences, but I imagine, as you mentioned, it's it's weird. They've obviously had some change over the season with the Oladipo and Karis LeVert trade, and then Karis LeVert had his own issues um, that it seems like he's getting better, which which is obviously great news. But you're right. If he's really so disliked within the organization, it's weird for you to read. Um, basically, we'll call him like, imagine you're in a, in a group chat with all your friends and all your friends are like, we hate you. And then you're like, oh, hey, we got a dinner party the next night. And you show up and your friends are like, oh, this is awkward. We, we all secretly don't like you. So um, it's weird that he's still coaching the team um, and, and he's in his first year as a coach. So you'd think that they wouldn't be willing to cut ties with him so quickly, but, but if there is as much dissatisfaction within the organization, it's definitely a weird place for him to be. Um, I can't really speak to what's going on inside their organization, but as we talked about, he seemed to be a, a well-liked coach within the Raptors and, you know, I'm not hoping that he gets fired or anything. And, and obviously we, we don't want that to happen um, because we wouldn't call for anyone's job, but it, it sounds like, you know, the Raptors had a great experience with him and maybe he'd be welcome back. Um, obviously the Raptors have a coaching staff um, opening and Nick nurse has talked about looking both internally and externally to fill that vacancy. And, and if something happens there, maybe he's a guy that the Raptors would look at and say, yeah, well, it didn't work out there, but we know you've had a, a history, a track record of success in Toronto. And, and that could be a, a good fit. I was going to ask you if you'd heard any rumblings about that being a, a realistic possibility. Um, I mean, you're right. Like that job vacancy was never filled. Um, and it's just personally, if you're, if you're Nate, I, I can only imagine he would be like, please Raptors, like take me back because like the reputation took a hit, you know, like, like, yeah, a real I, bad like hit. yeah, at the same time, there are only 30 coach head coaching jobs and, and he has one of them. So if he can, you know, get through this storm and maybe next year, you know, winning cures everything they say. So Maybe he turns things around next season. They're sort of a, a middle of the pack team this year. And it's a little bit confusing in which direction they're going, but maybe Karis LeVert takes a step next season. They find a little bit more success and whatever those problems are can maybe um, go away. And, you know, I, I don't imagine he wants to necessarily give up that spot. Although as we talked about, certainly at least a few people within the organization or a few players sound to be um, quite unhappy if those reports um, paint the picture for, for what's happening widespread within the organization. Yeah. And then as well, like we, a few days later, we had this like Greg Foster incident where he's an assistant with the Pacers and he called out their uh, one of their centers. I think it's Goga Batazi. Am I saying that right? <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. Um, they kind of had words on the court in a way that is usually, I guess, would also be safe for a locker room, but really just that sort of frustration boiling over. Um, and it, 
I, I don't know. I feel like the I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers just totally cleaned house um, this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if their front office had a few hits to it as well, because they're getting even more criticized for the Nate McMillan firing last season. Yeah, it's been a weird year. Um, you've mentioned all the stories off the court. And obviously, you know, we talked about the Karis LeVert situation and his um, his cancer diagnosis and having to to get through that. And they're sort of a middle of the team. They probably, I don't, I don't even know what their expectations were coming into the season. Yeah. Um, there were so many questions at the time about Victor Oladipo and his health coming into the season and what would happen. So it's been a very weird season. You don't often see coaches fired after one season. You Usually you, you get a couple seasons and then you see what happens down the road, but you're right. Um, a lot of turmoil off the court and, and some questions and some maybe some lack of clarity with what they're doing on the court. So so you, you might be right. There could be some changes on the horizon. Um, and, and maybe that actually does benefit the Raptors, uh, maybe another team um, in the East Conference that's out of the picture that could help Toronto. Yeah. And I think if you're the Pacers too, you're probably just so frustrated being like a first round exit year after year, which as a Raptors fan, I can definitely sympathize with. Um, that does get frustrating over time. And I think that's also what's boiling over because you talk about expectations and I agree. I don't think people realistically expected the Pacers to be beyond a first round playoff team. So all, all things considered, I think they're right about where people expected them to be. Um, but I still don't think that's going to save his job. Right. And, and they're a people either say, what are you, you're selling wins or you're selling hope. Mm -hmm. And I guess in some ways they were selling wins, but there wasn't a lot of hope for that, that ceiling where, you know, Oh, maybe, maybe this guy takes a step. Maybe that guy takes a step. Um, we all knew that, that the Victor Oladipo, situation at least previously when we started the season he was heading into a contract year and I, and I don't know if they thought that they had a championship core um, there were rumblings about um, Turner's future with the team maybe they would trade him or, or something would go down there in the last offseason so I don't know if this was really a team that anyone thought would contend for a championship and I don't know what their route is to be a championship uh, so I'm not sure what they're selling in, in Indiana right now. I mean, that's a really good point. And like, when I think about Victor Oladipo, I actually really feel bad for the guy because he had that devastating injury that took him out for a year. And then he comes back, plays maybe about a month total. And then the shutdown happens, has a little bit of time in the bubble and that's it. And it's like, I just feel like, you know, he lost so much time on the court. He really ended up losing almost two years when you really break it down. And it's just like, I don't think he ended up being what they hoped he would be, but it's so beyond his control at the same time. I just feel like that whole thing is just an unfortunate situation. And yeah, that's a team that really needs to regroup and figure it out, I think. And, and to, to follow up your Oladipo point, we find out today on Wednesday that he's having season ending surgery obviously there's there's not much longer in the season so i don't know what season ending means right. other than the last few games of the season but this is a guy that's heading into um, what some people expected to be a, a major contract summer and now um, i think uh, for raptors fans know that he was probably looking at getting money you know a contract bigger than norman powell um who's mm. who should get paid a lot of money this summer and, and now i have no idea idea what Victor Oladipo is going to get. He already turned down that contract offer at the beginning of the season, that extension um, from Houston. And, and now he's in a situation where, where he might find his, his, um, his job prospects or in terms of what the kind of contract he's going to get might be not to his liking 
And anytime you see a player ever go down with injury like he has, but but go down with injury in a contract season, that that's really tough to see. So um, yeah. I I don't know what his future is um, in, in the NBA. Obviously, he's he, hopefully he's still a very productive player, but in terms of get, being sort of a max contract or a very lucrative contract kind of player. Um, I, I don't know if that that situation is going to be there for him this summer. Right. And I know it was like heavily rumored that he wanted to go to the Miami Heat. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens, if he takes like a pay cut to try and make that happen. I'm not sure, but um, that's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Um, speaking of selling uh, wins or selling hope, because I feel like that's a good transition. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Zion because he's out for the season and um oh god what's his what's their president's name david 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 griffin thank you david griffin uh david griffin just went kind of ham complaining that the lack of officiating has caused zion to dislocate his finger and now he's out for the season and this is a team that's been you know selling hope and trying to transition into selling wins and they haven't really been able to do that this year. Um, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the Pelicans? Do you think, you know, this will, nobody's going to get worried about this? Or do you think this is like a bigger cause for concern? I think, I think when they started running Point Zion, if you will, whatever that sort of like a, a super forward point guard, um, we'll just call him Zion Williamson because I'm not sure there's another <laughs> player like him right now in the NBA. But when they transitioned to sort of letting Zion work with the ball more, I think things got better there. Um, but they've had also they've had a very weird season. JJ Redick went on his podcast um, and basically ripped um, the organization, said like nobody should should trust the organization, and that was a really ugly scene. Um, they, they were very interested in moving Lonzo Ball, who's going to be a free agent this summer, I think an unrestricted, sorry, a restricted free agent. Mm -hmm. Then they seem to be very interested in keeping Lonzo Ball this season. Um, we, we know they have a lot of draft picks going forward. So they're, they're an organization that's in flux. I think when we talk about what are they selling, they're selling hope in the sense that they have Zion Williams, Williamson, excuse me, and any organization with a player of that caliber at that age um, has a very promising outlook. They're only, you know, a handful or whatever guys who can play like he plays. Um, but they're an organization that definitely needs to sort of figure out where they're going. Um, does the Brandon Ingram sort of player, does, does he fit alongside Zion? Um, are they going to re-sign um, Lonzo Ball? So a lot of questions that that organization needs to answer. The only thing that we do know is that Point Zion is probably a, a recipe of success for, for many years to come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because I feel like <laughs> my personal theory, and obviously like I ha I come to this with a fan perspective, but I, I hate when people say like, oh, these two players just don't mesh together when it's when you're just speaking about how they play. I mean, it's one thing if their personalities are clashing too much. But like, you know, we're hearing all this talk about Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons for years, right? And then they finally have a coaching change and they are having the best year since they became a thing. So I, I don't know, like, I just feel like it's really up to you to make players work in that way. I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm kind of against this theory that maybe two players just don't go together. Right. And certainly players of the caliber of Ingram and Zion, where you're right, you, you, you 
all you have to do to be a coach is the coach tweak something a little bit. You know, the start of the season, they clearly were using Zion in a way that wasn't necessarily conducive to team success. And then they move him to the point guard sort of position and, and things work a lot better. Um, there's still some defensive question marks with that team and roster construction question marks just about age. Um, does Stephen Adams fit long-term? Mm-hmm. Do they need another center? Um, how do those things work? But I think you're right that when you have players as talented as Brandon Ingram um, and Zion and Lonzo even, who, who's had an up and down year, but seems like he meshes well with Zion and, and we know he's a talented player. Um, at that age, you should be able to tweak things a little bit and, and be able to find success. Um, it's about having the right organization and the right structure and, and maybe the right tertiary players and, and bench players around them that makes it work. But, but as long as you have a core of talented guys um, at a young age, um, I think their outlook should be, should be pretty promising. Although, as I'm sure we'll talk about, the Western Conference is, is a murderous row of, of very talented teams. Oh, so um, I don't know where they're going to fit in, the, in, in a very tough Eastern Conference for, for years to come, but, but they certainly have promise. Yeah, I mean, and even though I'm a, a biased Raptors fan, I am super pro, like, abolish the conferences. Like, this is just crazy. Because, you know, at first I used to be like, you know what, it's a phase, things will balance out, things will balance out. But this phase has lasted over 20 years now. And I just think maybe uh, we need to have more balance and parity because, you know, even like even though that opinion, you might think like, oh, that kind of goes against like the Raptors success. I'm like, no, it, it helps people not put an asterisk next to any time they do have success because I feel like being in the Eastern Conference and having an easier path has notoriously been held against them. But I mean, that's another rant for another day probably, but... <laughs> Yeah, as, as, a, as a cranky sports reporter, I like having my Eastern time zone game. So if, if we added a few more Western conference road trips, I'm not sure I want to, I, I don't love those 10 p.m. Um, um, start times. Right. And, and certainly when we're, when we're not traveling, they're annoying. Um, but even, you know, travel's expensive and those things aren't great. But I think, I think fans also like um, having some of the rivalries that maybe are lacking if you had sort of an entire league as opposed to two conferences, you don't get the... Um, maybe the Wizards rivalry or the Celtics rivalry, and maybe the Knicks are going to be good again, sort of like they are now. And maybe there's a rivalry there. So, so you might lose some of those rivalries, but you're right for maybe competitive balance. Um, all those Western conference teams um, certainly, certainly at, at times lately and sort of one through eight and maybe one through 10 even are, are, are better than some of the mediocre teams in the middle of the playoff picture in the Eastern conference. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I w- I'm sorry. I was not thinking about your travel schedule, although that's very valid. <laughs> well, did, did you like staying up till 10 o'clock um, just for, for tip-offs when they were on that West coast road trip? I imagine. No, um, no. <laughs> Toronto had their bedtimes as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I definitely did not love that. Especially when like, you know, we're at a point in the Raptors or there's less at stake, but in any case, let's talk about the Western conference because uh, you know, admittedly, I did not expect this to happen, but the Lakers have fallen into the play-in. Of course, there's a few games left this season. Other uh, one game behind the Mavericks in that six, seven spot, I believe. Uh, so we'll see if they can get out of it, but you know, assuming they can even get out of this play-in, we could be looking at a Lakers Suns first round or a Lakers Clippers first round. I mean, that is just wild. 
Yeah, I imagine if you're a team like the Suns, or, or for that matter, any team in the NBA, and you're sort of, you, you went all out all season to get a top seed. Um, but I'm thinking specifically about the Suns, a young team with the exception of mm. Chris Paul, um, who sort of had your first great year in a while. And all of a sudden, you're, you're the two seed, you're, you're, you're thrilled about the season, you're looking for maybe a, a Western Conference semifinals or Western Conference berth, and maybe that's when you play LeBron um, down the road. And then all of a sudden, mm. Lakers uh, lose Anthony Davis for a little while, lose LeBron James for a little while, they start um, going down sort of in the tank, and all of a sudden, um, they're in that play-in picture. And now you're the Suns, you're like, we got to play LeBron in the first round. Like this is totally unfair. You know, one of the other ideas that's been talked about in the NBA uh, or at least in fandom is maybe, maybe teams should be able to pick who they're playing. Um, that would be an interesting idea where, where the top seed teams, Oh, you know, I don't want to play this guy. Maybe you have it on ESPN prime time. And, wow. and there, there'd be a lot of um, like the all-star people draft? would be very upset <laughs> just like the all-star draft. So it's another way to make money. Everyone likes those things. But I imagine if you're the Suns and you can pick which team you're playing, you're probably not saying, okay, bring on Anthony Davis and LeBron. Um, mm. Maybe even if it, it takes them a little while to get back into the swing of things, um, I still, I can't imagine by game two or game three or four or whatever it is, maybe if that's still a long series, um, you don't like your chances as Raptors fans have learned against LeBron James in any playoff series. And, and if that series were to go seven, um, it'd be tough if, to be a, a Phoenix Suns fan this season. That would be so wild if that were a thing. Like as a fan, I'd be so intrigued. There'd be so many debates. Um, there'd also be really cool narratives of teams picking the toughest team as well. Like, no, like I want the Lakers, you know, like giving us that kind of energy. Um, I'm here for that just because it's messy and it's so much more to talk about. Well, well, maybe you'd be, as you mentioned, maybe you're picking a tough team because you see, well, the Nets aren't entirely healthy right now. And maybe in a few weeks, they'll be more healthy. So, so if you're a team, obviously mm. the Nets would have the number one pick um, right now in the Eastern Conference. But, but maybe there's a situation where you see a team sort of in their situation. You say, you know, I want to get them when they're without their star. Or they're, they're not totally meshed right now as opposed to getting them in round um, two or three and, and you've got a fully healthy three-headed juggernaut like the Nets would be. Um, but you also have teams who are saying, you know, I think you're the worst team in the conference as opposed to the eighth seed. So, so maybe <laughs> you're the number one seed and you say, oh, the eighth seed's actually been on a run lately and, and maybe they pick the seventh seed over over the eighth seed. So you'd get more rivalries that way. Um, so, so I don't know if this has actually been something discussed in the league offices, but it would certainly be an interesting idea. And one that would be interesting this season because the Lakers are in such a weird situation being probably better than their record suggests. Um, I love this idea and you're right. Cause like I could see a team picking like the trailblazers who are fifth and then they could feel insulted because they're fifth. And you're right. That could easily create like a years long rivalry if they just like, kept getting picked by the same team year after year. That's so interesting. Yeah, right? I, 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 you know, I think I think that that's sort of what the idea what the idea would be so fascinating. I think that you get huge ratings. So if ESPN is looking to boost ratings these days, you put that thing on prime time. You have, you know, uh, uh, Kyle Lowry picking a team or whoever it is. You have LeBron James saying this is the team that I want to play in the first round. Um, and, and even, um, you know, you, you and um, people breaking down the X's and O's and this is a good matchup and this is a bad matchup. So so um, there are all sorts of reasons for it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's something you get we'll see Charles Barkley maybe down the road. 
yeah and, and i was like plus you you get charles barkley and Shaq like not knowing who anybody is and then that that adds to the humor of that as well um how do you feel about the lakers going into this because i i started the season definitely like okay they're the heavy favorites they're the heavy favorites and i'm not jumping off that bandwagon completely just because you know they struggled a little bit coming back like anthony davis and lebron james coming back although they have won their last two i'm kind of looking at this team now like they don't have the depth that I thought they had and I already thought their depth wasn't that great how, how do you feel yeah, about them? I think I think again anytime you have a team with with LeBron James and Anthony Davis um, you're a team that's certainly got to be among the favorites to win the championship but you're right their depth is a little bit questionable I, I don't think the Marcus Saul signing has gone a Either the organ, the Lakers had wanted, or Marcus All had wanted. Um, he's been in and out of the lineup, and the Drummond signing has sort of put him in a weird situation. And I think, I think Drummond puts up really impressive numbers if you're looking at the box score. He he can you know go off for 20 points and 10 rebounds sort of on a regular basis. But when you look at the impact he has, it's probably less than the box score would suggest. Um, that they don't have the depth of some other teams. Um, and we saw that tested when, when they were without um, LeBron and Anthony Davis. And it's why I, I sort of don't understand why they weren't willing to move Taylor Horton Tucker, if that was going to be the cost um, for a player like Kyle Lowry. I think um, if this is an organization that sort of wants to make the most of LeBron James's last few seasons, um, I, you know, if I was running the organization, I would have done whatever I could have could do to get a player of Kyle Lowry's caliber who can really put us over the edge if I'm the Lakers and put us into that situation where they probably wouldn't be sitting um, in that play in tournament right now. If, if you had a, a group like Kyle Lowry, even, you know, as, as, as Raptors viewers, we know what Kyle Lowry and the bench does. Um, we've seen that year after year, how, how productive that can be. And I think if you had Kyle Lowry without LeBron James, without Anthony Davis, because of the situation they were in, they probably wouldn't be in the play in picture right now. Um, they'd sort of be firmly in the middle of the, the, Western conference. So um, they've had a weird year and, and if they don't win it this season, it's, it's there, there should be questions asked about what Kyle Lowry could have provided to that team. Um, because, because I think he would have made a big difference. And, and um, if they don't win it, it'll be a, a year of LeBron James is like late prime that they, um, that they sort mm -hmm. of wasted away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And as a Raptors fan, it still doesn't, it still feels weird that he wasn't traded at that midseason trade deadline. I mean, I'm sure everybody feels that way. And I couldn't help but notice that Kyle had a great game against the Lakers <laughs> just a, a week ago. Um, quickly, before we move on to full, full Raptors talk, just wanted to take another look at the MVP race because I feel like this is pretty much locked. But I'm wondering who is your MVP this year? Yeah, I, I think. I think it's, it's going to be Jokic in the end. I think um, he, he might not be the best player in the NBA if sort of everyone was healthy and everyone had the same season. But uh, obviously LeBron missed a lot of time. Um, some inconsistencies from some other guys and then the Nets guys all missed a lot of time. So um, when we're talking start to finish and impact um, you've had sort of on the, on the whole team all year long, I think Jokic is the guy that will probably end up winning it. And, and you know, I don't have a vote right now, but he's probably the guy that would get my <laughs> vote if I did have a vote. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think it's him as well. And I think, you know, I've heard some weird arguments for like Chris Paul and like, ugh, I don't know. I, I just think it's absolutely Jokic and he's just had an incredible year. Like you said, just the most consistent out of all the other MVP candidates. And, you know, I mean, Jamal Murray's out, which really sucks, but I just have ever since the bubble just have these little heartstrings for the nuggets and i just really want to see them do well yeah yeah and i think as we talked about a bunch of other guys sort of trailed off um mm-hmm. whether it was because of injury or performance and he's a guy that's been able to do it the whole season and, and i don't think denver will be in a situation where they sort of win it all because they don't have um jamal murray this season because of his injury um but but they're a team in the western conference we keep talking about how strong the western conference is they're a team that is going to have a should a lot of respect for many years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, because like, I mean, there was a lot of strong talk for Embiid, but then he ended up missing a month. And it's just one of those years. Like, I don't think it'll be a unanimous vote at all. I definitely think a lot of these guys will get a few other first ballot votes. But overall, I definitely think it'll be the Joker. Um, let's move on to Raptors talk. I call this segment, my Raptors Homer moment. I uh, feel like this is just a market correction because we need more biased Raptors media. <laughs> and, um, you know, this year, this week has been tough. The Raptors are officially out of the playoffs, out of the play in, um, how do you feel these last few weeks have played out? Because, you know, there was a road, there was a path to the play in and we were sitting out a lot of players and resting a lot of guys. You know, I think it's questionable how much rest they really needed. Were you like, are you more like team let's get out of Tampa or were you more team play in? Let's give this all we got. Well, well, one of the things I wrote recently is that um, regardless of sort of the situation, I think it's a shame that Kyle Lowry is um, not playing for a playoff team um, right now. And we just talked about how the Lakers are a team that, um, you know, potentially could have acquired him and, and Philadelphia and Miami are teams that sort of, we know, looked at it and, and maybe could have made a move. And I think um, it's unfortunate that they didn't make a move because I would have liked to see Kyle in a situation where he could go for a championship. Um, mm-hmm. But at the very least, I, I also think it's unfortunate that um, the Raptors had a chance to make a play in tournament and they opted um, to rest Kyle because I think, um, you know, tanking aside, which, which I understand is, is an important thing. And, and we'll talk about that, but I, I think sort of in a vacuum, it would have been nice um, for Raptors fans and Raptors media and, and everyone to sort of, if this is Kyle's last season to, to sort of watch him play it to the fullest. And I think seeing him rest these games um, in what are sort of, whether you, the Raptors want to call them that or not, they're sort of meaningful games, not the ones now, but, but for the past few weeks, they were essentially meaningful games. And the Raptors decided that they weren't because they, they wanted to get a better draft pick and they wanted to see some of the younger players. So, so on one part of that question is I just think it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to walk Kyle either on a playoff team or on a, on a team like Toronto who could, could have, could have treated these games like playoff games. Um, but I think it makes sense. Um, the Raptors were probably going to be a first round playoff exit team. Um, once those COVID issues happened, they sort of fell way down the standings. We all know mm-hmm. the story by now, and they probably have gotten a team like the Nets or Philly in the first round, even if they were 
going all out um, for the past few weeks. And I think they looked at their team and they sort of saw where they were and they said, we don't, we don't really have a center right now. Um, and, and Kyle Lowry's getting up there in age and let's maybe try and take this opportunity to add a, a top tier talented player in the draft and go forward. And I, and I totally understand that perspective. Um, I think if I was playing NBA 2k and I was running the franchise, I would probably have done the same made the same choice. Um, <laughs> it just can be, it can be difficult to see. Um, but, but I totally understand why they do it. And, and I, and I can respect that. Yeah. I mean, as a fan, I am like team let's get out of Tampa. Like the whole Tampa experience has been pretty miserable, but I agree with you in terms of Kyle, like not trading Kyle and then resting him when, you know, it's doubtful that he'll re-sign as a free agent doesn't make sense on the surface, unless we think he's part of our plan going forward. But I mean, I don't know, like that's very up in the air, but as, yeah, as a fan, just watching him rest, not trading him, it just doesn't add up. Um, I kind of walked away from the trade deadline thinking like, okay, we didn't trade him. We obviously didn't get a good enough package in return. I guess they're thinking worst case scenario, saving the money is worth more than bringing new people in. I, I, that was my interpretation of all of this. Is that how you see it as well? Well, well, well truthfully, I, I continue to be a little bit perplexed by the whole situation. And, and I think we'll probably get a better answer um, this summer if he walks. Um, and, you know, people say if he walks for nothing, and obviously it's not nothing. He gave you the greatest Raptors career of all time in a championship. But if we're just mm -hmm. talking about this season, if he walks for nothing, um, then, then questions will be asked and questions should be asked. Why didn't they, even if it wasn't very much, it was something, uh, maybe, you know, a couple of picks and a, and a less talented player or, or a pending free agent if, if it was a player like Duncan Robinson. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, something to me is better than nothing. If Or the Raptors should have sort of gone for it. But I think it's, as, as, I, as I mentioned, it's, it's sort of unfortunate that like nobody's using Kyle Lowry. If, if the Raptors aren't going to use Kyle Lowry, then I feel like somebody else should be using Kyle Lowry. Mm -hmm. Just unfortunate that it's like we have one of the best players at age 35 sort of toward the end of his season who we know can make an impact on a team. And it's like, oh, well, nobody wants him. Um, and, and that's unfortunate to me. Um, but but we'll find out what the Raptors are planning on doing. Um, but I think, you know, I will ask some some questions if he walks at the end of the season. It'll it'll be strange that they that they decided not to pull the trigger and make a deal, even if it wasn't for exactly what they, they wanted. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of that would make sense is if they've had some backdoor talks that they're not technically supposed to have about doing a sign and trade during this offseason and they are invested in making sure he's healthy so they can execute that. That's the only thing that really makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and, and maybe, you, you know, we already talked about how those things are sort of questionably legal um, yeah. as you, as you mentioned, but if that happens, then maybe we'll have um, a better understanding of, Oh, well, you know, th that's why they didn't trade him. This makes a ton of sense. Now, um, you know, typically you're not going to get more in a sign in trade than you would at the trade deadline. So um, I don't know how they would swing that. Maybe they create a trade exception and then maybe there's another, you know, shoot a fall and, and they, they add a star that way. Um, 
you know, it's, it's not hot takey to say, well, let's just, just wait and see. Um, but that's sort of the best I can offer right now, because other than let's just wait and see, I don't really have a great answer as to why they did it. Um, there are some things they can do, but I think there's a very good chance that Kyle just, you know, signs in Miami who has the cap space to make the deal done. There was a report of the trade deadline, I think, um, from the Associated Press that that he's probably going to go to Miami next season. So if he just does that, they have the cap space to make it get it done. There's no reason for Kyle to, to pull a sign and trade. Miami doesn't need it. He'd just be taking away talent um, from the team he's going to. And we know Toronto wanted Tyler Hero. I, I don't know why Miami would give up Tyler Hero in a signing trade. They'd just be doing the Raptors a favor and, and Pat Riley isn't, isn't going to do that. Yeah. And, and I also think too, like, you're right. I think a lot of these teams backed out on their deals because they know they can get them as a free agent this summer. Like, I think they have every right to feel confident in their chances of getting Kyle without giving up anybody they have. So you know, we'll see. Uh, I didn't add this to our list of questions, but if you don't mind me springing this on you, how do you feel about Masai's situation in Toronto? Because this in uh, happening in line with the Kyle situation is kind of something I feel is brewing under the surface. That's kind of making me nervous as a fan, because a lot of decisions are being made or not being made by someone we don't even know will be here long-term. Well, um, I would love to put your fandom worries at rest. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't do that. Um, you know, I, um, I'll be blunt with you and say you should be worried because yeah. um, he's he's so important to the organization. Um, he gives the, or, the, the Raptors um, a respectability they haven't always had. Um, he's, he's a great face for the organization. Um, and, and we know he's a great basketball decision maker. So um, from that sense, you should be worried because he, anytime you have a player or, or excuse me, a member within the organization, whether it's a player or not, um, who is so important to the organization and, and a, essentially a pending free agent, um, it's concerning. Um, you know, if Woj isn't going to get that scoop and basically things have been radio silence um, from Masai Ujiri, we know that there are basically no leaks out of the organization at the mm -hmm. deadline. Um, they're an organization that is very tight-lipped. Well, Masai Ujiri is not just going to go around telling people his plans. So unfortunately, I don't have any news to break for you on this podcast. <laughs> um, that would be fun if I did, um, but I don't. And so casually, um, but too. I think, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, Steve Simmons reported the other day that the Raptors are planning on, on having that conversation. I guess it would be MLSE is going to have that conversation with Masai Ujiri once the season is over. So next week, um, and and we'll find out what happens then. He's, he's somebody that I think, as Woj reported, could do basically anything he wanted. If, if he wanted to run for public office, I'm sure he could do that if, um, if he wanted to you know, run another, maybe he's a guy who's into soccer or whatever the situation is, um, or, or wanted to take a, a position higher up in, in the NBA, um, basically anything other than the commissioner's office. Um, and maybe he deserves that even, um, could be open to him. Um, so if, if he's sort of done running the Toronto Raptors organization, um, he, he should have lots of opportunities, both inside um, basketball in terms of NBA teams, but in sort of in the whole world, the world's his oyster, if you will. I guess I'm jealous of him in that sense. Yeah. And I mean, Masai going into politics, just 
it just feels like that's going to happen at some point. Like, I'm not saying that's happening this year, but he just feels primed for that at some point in his life. I mean, obviously I want him to stay, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if he left, which is why I'm worried. Although as a fan, I just like run on worry. Like that's kind of like what's in my engine. Um, But yeah, I just, oh, we'll see. We'll see. It'll be a sad day if he leaves for sure. I have one more worried Raptors question for you. And then we will end on some optimism. I promise we will end on some optimism. Uh, Something I feel, you know, was sort of reported at the time, but I haven't heard about since that I'm also concerned about is the relationship between Nick Nurse and Pascal Siakam. So we know that incident happened a few weeks ago where Siakam said some inappropriate things to Nick Nurse uh, outside the locker room. Uh, He got fined for it. Um, To me, what brings me to feeling concerned is the fact that like Pascal has been fined twice this season for like inappropriate unprofessional conduct. And so to me, like twice is like, okay, this isn't just like a one-off, you know, not literally, but also figuratively, you know what I mean? (laughs) And um, I just feel like I'm concerned for their relationship. Do you sense that things have really mended between them? Um, well, well, just to clarify that that first report from I believe it was Sham said he was fined on, on the second one that you're referring to about the altercation he had with Nick Nurse, which which has been confirmed. Um, but the Raptors refuted that and said he he was not fined. Um, but but regardless of, of whether or not he was fined, which I think is sort of a little bit besides the point, is that there was right. some sort of altercation right. that, yeah. that 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 um, isn't isn't good. You know, there's no other way to put it. And, and, and I think it was Michael Grange who reported that that's something that will be, you know, discussed and dealt with in the off season. Um, I think, you know, losing and bad vibes are sort of all in one. So um, at the beginning of the season, when that first situation happened, um, you know, it, it was because Pascal Siakam wasn't playing well and the Raptors were losing. And, um, you know, for the past seven years, obviously Siakam hasn't been with Toronto for that whole time, but there've been good vibes with the organization. So you don't see a lot of those things for the most part um, because winning cures everything. Um, so this is was the organization's first brush with a lack of success in a very long time. And um, it's been a rocky road. It's been a rocky season for Pascal Siakam. I guess we can say both on and off the court. We know he had to move to Tampa with the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, he had his bout with COVID-19. Um, his shooting numbers have been a little inconsistent. Um, I think there has been some optimism. He, he's played pretty well. His, his playmaking has gotten better. Um, he might never have sort of the Kyle Lowry, Nick Nurse relationship. Um, but as long as he sort of runs the things Nick Nurse wants him to to run um, and, and he doesn't, you know, show up the coach, then I think that that's okay. Um, I don't necessarily, he might be the highest paid player on the team and he might be the, um, you know, the most points per game. He might score the most um, on the team, but I don't think he's the leader of the team. And, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think um, for, for right now, it's, it's a guy like Kyle Lowry. And I think Fred Van Vliet is poised to take that um, mantle down the road. And I think, Everything we've seen from Fred Van Vliet is, is he's a, a very respected player, a respectable person. He, he's great with the media. I, I obviously don't know him on a personal level, but he's seen all accounts to great. Um, so, so I think that's okay if everyone sort of listens to Fred. And as long as Fred and Nick Nurse are on the same page, and they seem to be, uh, we saw 
you know, the other day it seemed like Fred Van Vliet was an assistant coach. I literally have been an assistant coach. He was in the uniform and apparently in the coaches mm-hmm. meeting. So as long as he's on the same page with the coaching staff, I think everything's okay. Um, so I'm not too concerned about that, but, it, but if it continues and if the losing continues, then obviously um, those, those fan concerns that you mentioned should be heightened. But I would say your bigger concern right now should be Masai Ujiri. <laughs> Thank you for helping me rank my concerns in order. That's always very helpful. <laughs> Well, he's just more important to the franchise in terms of, of that kind of stability and that respectability. And and the situation with Pascal Siakam can change and can be fluid. And maybe with a little bit more maturity and some understanding, um, he and Nick Nurse can, can figure things out um, if there is any continued turmoil there. Um, yeah. With that being said, let's take a look at the bright side here. Um, what do you think are our biggest wins just in terms of our development this year? What are the most positive things we can take away from this season? There, there are a a bunch of things. I think we just talked about Pascal Siakam's playmaking. That was something that, um, former assistant coach, Chris Finch talked about when he came to the team, he said he wanted to help Siakam improve that. And Siakam's playmaking has been much, much better this season. So that's a big thing sort of at the top level. Um, OG Ananobi, mm-hmm. especially after the trade of Norman Powell, has taken a larger portion of the offensive workload um, and I think flourished at times. Um, so I think OG's development is, is a big one. Um, we have Utah Mania, which I think was, was fun, <laughs> yes. both for Raptors fans in Canada and Raptors fans in Japan. Um, he looks like a player who's, you know, can be a good depth piece. He's not going to be, you know, a star and he's, he shouldn't be a starter for this team. Like he has been lately. Um, <laughs> but he could be a, a guy that is, is contributing sort of off the bench um, for years to come. And he was sort of, you know, found money. So nobody was expecting big things from him. Um, so those are sort of the things that that jumped to mind right away. Malachi Flynn being ro- rookie of the month um, was big, a big step for him. He's had a little bit of an inconsistent start to May, but mm-hmm. he's shown some development this season. He's looking, we know his defense is very good. He's shown some offensive development. As I wrote about today, his his he his two for one skills appear to be on, on par with Kyle Lowry. So um, there are certainly a lot of things for Raptors fans be happy about and and i think the other one i guess is you know if you add a top lottery pick then things could be a lot next season yeah i mean i hear this year's lottery is supposed to be really good although admittedly i am not someone that pays attention to draft prospects year round um i don't know if you've heard of anybody that like you're kind of eyeing in terms of a future raptors pick or anybody like that So, so the top five picks in this year's draft are considered, you know, all number one overall pick guys um, with Cunningham, Mobley, Green, Suggs, and Kaminga. So those, that's sort of the top tier guys. And the Raptors would have to win a top four pick. And I think they have a 31.9% chance of doing that um, if they stay in the seventh seed, which, which at this point I think they probably will. Um, if they don't, um, it's sort of more of a traditional draft where, you know, you can find guys in that lottery who are very good and you'll find guys in that lottery who are less good, if you will. Um, 
Kai Jones is a guy that interests me. He's got size um, out of, he's from Texas. He's a guy with size that, that could help the Raptors. He's a bit more of a developmental project. Um, so there, there are some guys and as we get closer to the draft, um, I'll be able to dive deeper in, mm-hmm. into that. But I think, um, y- you know, it's not just trying to win the number one pick. Like maybe it has been in the years past where you get the rights to a player like LeBron James or whatever. Um, this year, sort of winning any of those top four picks um, would be huge for, for Toronto. Right. Well, you know, it's been a long time since I've looked forward to a draft, but I am definitely looking forward to this one. Uh, I wanted to ask you, finally, just wrapping up our Raptors talk here, how will you remember this Raptors season? It'll be the season they spent in Tampa, and it'll be <laughs> um, the, the month they went um, without almost all their players because of COVID. Um, so, and it'll, it'll be for me personally, the season I spent, um, you know, covering the game a few feet from my bedroom. So that was nice as a reporter. I could <laughs> hop off the zoom calls, uh, write the story and then roll into bed a few minutes later, as opposed to, um, you know, driving back home or whatever the situation is. So it's been the weirdest season sort of probably ever in NBA history. Um, and, and maybe the Raptors, um, hold the title for the weirdest season for any team in NBA history, both because they, they played essentially every game away from home. Um, and they had COVID issues like few other teams in the league. So um, it'll be a memorable season, but also a forgettable season. I think if, if both those things can be true, <laughs> um, this has been a very, very weird 2020, 2021 season. Yes, that's exactly how I see it. It's rememberable and forgettable. I see this whole season like a blowout game where you're just like okay let's flesh this and move on to bigger better things uh with that i usually end with a quote of the week and this one comes from our very own toronto raptors account uh retweeting sports center with the giant font eliminated and replied back i mean font size 12 would have done just fine. I mean, if that doesn't wrap up what this year has been like, I don't know what else does. Yeah. Just, just put it in a a footnote this season, I guess, as we we sort of want to forget this season, I think both as both as media and fans, you know, this will have an asterisk or whatever it is. You can, it'll say uh, 2019, 2020, and then we'll just skip to 2021, 2022. Um, And it can say asterisk footnote. There was a season in between here, but we, we won't discuss that. (laughs) exactly uh aaron thanks so much for uh being on this show it was great having you uh where can we find you on the internet you can follow me at aaron ben rose and then um all my work is at sports illustrated's raptors website si.com slash nba slash raptors so churning out a lot of content and we know this season hasn't been exciting um but but the off season should be and and there will be lots of content coming um basically every day um until the season starts and then after that forever i guess we'll say yeah (laughs) it's definitely going to be a busy and exciting off season uh well thank you again thank you very much for having me on